You're listening to Faith and Family. I'm Sarah Golseth. Today I have the joy of bringing you another missionary story, and this time we get to travel to West Africa. With me in studio is the Reverend Micah Wildauer, who is serving as a missionary in Togo, West Africa. Welcome, Pastor Wildauer. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, so tell me about uh, your journey into the mission field. What what led to uh, being what led to serving in West Africa? Uh, sure. Uh, I had been serving as a pastor in uh, the heart of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and um, had a lunch with uh, Reverend Dan McMiller mm-hmm. one day. I, I wasn't even sure what he was going to be meeting about. And he said, uh, well, we like what we're, we're seeing you here in Milwaukee. Would you consider uh, serving in the international field? And I says, well, I said, Dan, you know that uh, I'm here. I've been working with the Hmong. We've worked with uh, Karen refugees out of Burma, uh, with African immigrants, both English-speaking and French-speaking. I think I'm already in international call. <laughs> and he says, well, yes, we want to extend that out further and actually place you in the field uh, overseas somewhere. So uh, my wife and I considered that and said, uh, sure, we, we can go through the process and uh, see what it takes and consider this uh, as time goes on. And that's what uh, led to that. And uh, sure enough, here we are now serving in a small town of Dapong, Togo. Awesome. And how long ago did you go overseas? Oh, we began uh, with the LCMS uh, in 2014. Okay. And uh, spent that time uh, building the network and the like mm-hmm. and having a baby mm-hmm. uh, prior to being deployed. Uh, our first seven months, though, were in France up in the Alps with mm-hmm. language acquisition. Uh, looking at a chalkboard for 90% of the time, not so much the Alps and all the wonderful things there. Uh, after the seven months, uh, found ourselves in August 2015 at uh, the seminary in uh, northern Togo. Mm-hmm. And how did serving those that diverse population in Milwaukee kind of um, train you for what you're doing now? Um, expect the unexpected uh, to some degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly created a lot of patience, uh, working across languages, uh, accents uh, in the English mm-hmm. language don't bother me uh, so much. Uh, it also gave a taste of different foods. Try mm-hmm. things, don't ask questions sometimes. <laughs> but uh, just a, a great opportunity to to see different cultures in action, but yet have that same faith rooted in Christ. Uh, and then knowing going into the mission field that other missionaries have gone before us uh, and that the same word is there, the same promise of Christ is there, the, the proclamation has been there. And we're building on those who have already laid a foundation in the past uh, and then being able to go into a different culture, be it France, which does have its own when language learning, uh, but even more so in Togo. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't so much of a shock as, as some would expect it to be, believe it or not. <laughs> What was it like um, having to transition through that through that language and, and knowing that you were going to be relying heavily on, on another language for, for a long time? Uh, France itself was it was difficult. Uh, you're in a, in a people group there where they do love their language, and I have to appreciate mm-hmm. them for this. They want it pronounced correctly, mm-hmm. uh, clearly, concisely. Uh, if I mispronounce a, a masculine to the feminine, they laugh at me and say, what is this guy does? Such a... <laughs> a uh, Slavish guy who doesn't know what to say. Uh, but in Africa, I could pronounce mispronounce every other word, and everyone there is like, hey, this is our, this is our secondary language too. <laughs> and so it, it helped to create a sense of unity in language and <laughs> linguistics. Um, but it certainly is a building process uh, each and every day. Uh, I feel most comfortable in the classroom where I'm teaching with the French, uh, the specialized vocabulary, the theological language, the biblical mm-hmm. language of French. 
uh, and working with a lot of the students, uh, and even in Africa, where we draw from eight different countries, the French is uh, a little different in each region. <laughs> so hearing their accent uh, from Guinea of the French language, from Togo, from uh, Congo Brazzaville, they're all uh, slightly different, mm-hmm. uh, as well as idiomatic phrases <laughs> that you wouldn't think of when language learning. Those come out, and I was like, wait, what, do you, what is that? So uh, sure. certainly a challenge, uh, uh, and yet sometimes entertaining too. <laughs> Which is good. That's yes. Good. Yes. So you're you're teaching fully in in French then? Correct. Yeah, it's the common language at the seminary. Mm-hmm. Uh, Togo, a francophone country from uh, colonial days. Uh, first, it was German uh, after World War One, switched over to France. Uh, and uh, French is the common language amongst the students. Mm-hmm. Uh, the students coming from the eight countries, speaking multiple languages, uh, but that is indeed the common language. Sure, and I guess we we should back up a little bit. So, so your role um, in West Africa is with the seminary there. Can you talk a little bit about about what your role actually is? Sure. Uh, formal work in uh, Togo began in the 1980s with missionaries, LCMS missionaries on the ground. Uh, 1997 uh, was the opening, the official opening of the seminary, the Centre Lutérien d'Études Théologiques, uh, the Lutheran Center for Theological Studies. Uh, and uh, at the seminary there, they began training the village pastors of northern Togo and the Ivory Coast, where LCMS mission work was taking off. Uh, this has then grown over this, uh, the decades here, the time, uh, to include nine different Lutheran church bodies in eight different countries mm-hmm. uh, of varying degrees. You, have, you still have your village uh, pastors who maybe have their full high school education, all the way to uh, students who have university-level education and perhaps a degree somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So your work is to uh, educate these these men into the ministry? Correct. Uh, amongst the church bodies, they're sending their men there for three years. Uh, we have a faculty there that then uh, receive the men uh, and their families uh, who travel with them there. Uh, they are there on the ground for three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do not return home for Christmas. They do not return home for summer breaks uh, unless they're from Togo. Chances are they're in a village maybe 20 minutes away. Mm-hmm. Uh, but otherwise, the, the students are there. Some of them as foreign to the area as my family is, different wow. currency, different climate, different culture. Uh, but nonetheless, we, we kind of have our own seminary family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I serve on that faculty, uh, teaching classes in theology, practical theology, historical, and of course, uh, exegetical, getting right into the, the heart of scripture itself, uh, and then the confessions as well. Sure. Um, within, that, within that setting, then, uh, with the professors, the professorial staff, it's myself and another LCMS missionary, Jacob Goggert, mm-hmm. uh, the first LCMS missionaries there since 2009. Um, and the other three professors, our director is Togolese uh, from the area, uh, our academic dean is from Congo Brazzaville, Central Africa, and our, our dean of students uh, is an Ivorian pastor from uh, further in uh, west in uh, West Africa. So really covering quite a few regions with our uh, international staff. Sure. And are, are all the students there working toward becoming pastors or are there other students there as well? Uh, all of them working toward being pastors in their local church bodies. Okay, okay. And and what are the the resources? Because this is um, this is French language, not necessarily a, a more um, sect language. Is are there more resources available than than maybe in other mission fields? 
not so much. Resources are difficult to come by. Mm-hmm. The, the Reformation, of course, flourished in Germany, Scandinavia, but not so much France. Uh, somewhat of a bulwark of the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, the reforms that took place were Calvin's later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Lutheran churches that grew, most of them knew German mm-hmm. uh, as well. So not a lot of resources in French. Uh, there's a lot of need for translation into French. Uh, and then uh, from there into the local languages, the catechisms mm-hmm. and the like, uh, small, large catechism. Um, thus, there is some of that on the forefront in the future here for for work is uh, translations, uh, but also providing those resources in print where possible. Sure. Um, the Lutheran Confessions, uh, not re- readily accessible until the early 2000s. And here, just going through another printing uh, out of France with... Uh, uh, 1,800 copies with help from Lutheran Heritage Foundation, Kansas mm-hmm. District and the like. Uh, great help and assistance financially in that to be able to make uh, the Lutheran Confessions accessible. Uh, 900, 900 copies went to the seminary and 900 to another missionary uh, in Kenya who works in Central Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what a blessing that not only just select few receive the Lutheran Confessions, but pastors, lay leaders and the like, being able to use this across the board. Sure. How, how much of a, a difference does that make when, when, you're, when you're able to teach out of, out of a, a book that's in their language that they can understand? A huge. Uh, it isn't just hypothetical theory. Uh, it's not just uh, thinking the thoughts and trying to discuss it or remember things orally. Uh, it's not using a book that could disintegrate within a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, or get just get dusty or, or whatever. Uh, indeed, yeah, the climate does not uh, allow for materials to last long, but when you have a better quality book, it certainly does. Mm-hmm. And to be able to highlight, to underline, and, and discuss for the students is uh, quite valuable. Sure, sure. What is a, what is a daily like, life like for the students that are there? Oh, that's a great question. Um, just in the recent years, uh, uh, with the students, it, it's been a lot of academia, but we've, uh, we've actually increased the prayer life to pray oh. for one another. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a pretty much a 6.30 to 6.30 sunup, sundown, equatorial climate there. And uh, we said, well, let's let's pray for each other a little bit more. You never know what passes through the night or lunch hour, somebody comes down with malaria and, mm-hmm. uh, to pray for them. So we've added a 6.30 prayer service uh, in the morning, 20-minute service of the word, a, a verse of the week that we're working through. And in the afternoon of Vespers at 4.30 as they're on their way after studies, the families are welcome to come. Kids, if they're not in school, uh, are welcome to come by, uh, and we're, we're praying more often. So the, the day begins and ends with prayer at the seminary. We encourage them, if, if not there, they're not a, a, obliged to go to the services uh, before and after, uh, to pray in their homes. Mm-hmm. The same thing with us as well. Um, but otherwise, uh, 6.30, prayer begins, 7 o'clock, classes, uh, midday, well, I can't say midday chapel, chapel at uh, 8.30, <laughs> where the students have that opportunity to uh, put out a sermon and, and have it reviewed by the, the faculty. Students are leading the liturgy, uh, or we're having a, a hymnody session, uh, mm-hmm. learning a new hymn or a, or a song as well, uh, or the psalms themselves. Um, but otherwise, class, but it's also the French system. So we, we have our uh, sessions in the morning till 1230, and then there's two-hour break for lunch. Nice. And uh, you get your nap in that time when it's extremely hot. Uh, come back for another uh, two-hour to two-and-a-half-hour session in the afternoon uh, as well. So it, it certainly is still uh, francophone in that sense, too, in the educational system. That would be a nice schedule to have, to be able to have that, that two-hour break. Yes, exactly. Just relax a little bit. Grab a short, a simple bite to eat and take a nap. <laughs> That's really smart. Yep. <laughs> so, um, are 
are there holidays that are that are um, celebrated? You said that they, a lot of them don't go home for Correct. those three years. Are there are there special celebrations that happen during that time, or, or holidays as as we know them in, in the United States? Yeah, there there are. Um, Within the country of Togo itself, they still follow the the francophone uh, calendar for the most part. So they they actually do have uh, things like the uh, the Assumption of Mary, August fifteenth, is a national holiday. Mm-hmm. Um, they celebrate the Ascension as a national holiday. Um, but the president also incorporates Islamic holidays. There's an animistic holiday as well, where we're not allowed to have classes and the like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but according to the church calendar, absolutely, we still follow that. Uh, Christmas isn't as built up as it is here in America. Um, in fact, it's actually celebrated between Christmas and New Year's throughout Francophone Africa, uh, visitations to people's homes and, and, mm. and welcoming people and going in, out to other people's homes between Christmas and uh, July, uh, excuse me, January 1st mm-hmm. uh, itself. So it's, it's a bit different, but they do follow that calendar. Um, many of the churches we found out, uh, Easter, they'll, they'll gather, especially the youth at the church, sometime uh, on Monday, Thursday evening, and stay at the church, almost like a vigil through Easter itself. That's really cool. So, yeah, yeah. And the pastors are asking the questions at the seminary. Can we do anything? Is there anything we can do, should do special? And says, "Well, let's talk through this." And they're discovering things like the Easter vigils. There's a, a historic service for this. What a great opportunity! Yeah. So it's one, um, of, it's like one of the best services of the year. Too. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So the, this kind of the, the discovery of such has, has given them something to, to ponder, something to speak of, and and to celebrate. Then sure. What is? Um, do these students have any background in in knowing that liturgy, or is this completely new to them? Uh, yes and no. Depends on where they're at. The Central Africans are so different from the West Africans in a lot of uh, practices. Uh, Ash Wednesday this year, there was this this sense uh, among the, the Central Africans, well, are we going to have Ash Wednesday with ashes? And a few of the West Africans were saying, do what exactly? <laughs> and they're like, with well, ashes and Ash Wednesday. And, and there's the beginning of Lent. And to see the students interacting amongst themselves and, and saying this, uh, the Central Africans, they're, they're pressed uh, in, in a lot of the large cities with uh, Roman Catholicism and Anglican practices and asking, is this okay to do? Mm-hmm. Uh, what is good? What is not good? And always uh, for me in, in our liturgy class, coming back to that question, what does this confess? What does this mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, in the West Africans asking questions about the Central Africans and their practices. So I would say the Central Africans are a little bit more exposed to a liturgical uh, setting, whereas the West Africans, uh, they have a lot of the spoken liturgy parts in place, uh, but they're wanting to sing more mm-hmm. uh, is what we're seeing as well. And uh, one of the beautiful things coming out right now at the seminary, we have a Central African uh, who leads the chorus, the choir. He asks, how can we better this, the services on Sundays as well? We speak the Psalms right now. And he says, yeah, I've always wanted, the Psalms are spent, supposed to be sung. Uh, this is the, the songbook of the Hebrews. And uh, he says, well, let's see what we can do. So he gathers the choir on Thursday. This is back in March. And... Uh, uh, he writes up the psalm longhand on the board right from Scripture and says, okay, we're going to come up with a tune for this key verse right here at the Antiphon. And then we'll have a few students sing a, a couple verses, and then we'll come back to the Antiphon and sing it uh, uh, throughout the psalm. And they just come up with a tune, just singing it. They don't actually write out the tune. They just come up with a tune. Sunday, they're singing this through. And uh, all the way through, by the end of the, the psalm, having sung the Antiphon about seven, eight times, Everybody in the congregation singing with them. 
And uh, after the service that day, everyone shares the peace on the way out uh, in succession in line. And they're singing that verse on the way home. And the professors kind of look at each other like, well, that went really well. That's awesome. And then the next week, they do it again. He writes it up on the board, and they come up with another tune. So one of my goals is to go back with a voice recorder and, and to put some of these into actual musical score yeah. and, and see if it's something usable. Uh, certainly, as, as we've discussed already uh, with the students, that possibility of coming down the road 30 years, 40 years, with our own African-French hymnal mm-hmm. uh, and using some of the things that are being developed even by the students themselves. That's so cool. Is Do you, ha- do you have a hymnal that you use, or is it all music like that? Lutheran Church of Canada has been a great blessing in mm-hmm. this. Uh, we have a hymnal that uh, looks exactly like Lutheran service book, uh, except for it's blue. Um, of which my, my friend in New Jersey, Nathan Gruy, pastor there, he says, well, is it Lutheran service book or is it Lutheran worship? <laughs> and I says, well, it's Lutheran service book through and through, uh, but with added resources for uh, the benefit of missionaries is what I sense. It has all of the prayers, the collects for the Sundays. Oh, wow. has uh, some uh, key special services, visiting of the sick and homebound and the like, mm-hmm. that uh, these pastors and, and missionaries in Africa can use on the ground and have that one book resource. Uh, with them on hand. And we've had another printing come through recently. Uh, David Saar, David Somers up there really being a great resource Mm -hmm. uh, for having that foundational francophone hymnal throughout Africa. Uh, And many of the churches wanting to adopt it. Congo Brazzaville, it's their go-to hymnal. Uh, Madagascar expressing uh, interest in their francophone congregations here soon uh, as well. That's really cool. So uh, what is... What is a, a traditional Sunday morning service like? Would it be something that, that if, if someone from the U.S. would go over, it would be recognizable to them? I, I would say so, uh, yeah. Uh, the procession uh, begins, the choir comes in in a rhythmic uh, dance. I hesitate, hesitate to use the word dance. It's so different than our concept, American concept of dance. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it looks like they're plowing the field. It fits <laughs> with the sower of, uh, and the seed mm-hmm. and so forth. Um, but they'll, they'll come in in two-by-two two succession, part ways near the altar. The pastor comes in. Uh, any other assistants will, will come in gracefully and uh, very dignified. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it continues on there. The, the congregations there in Da Pong, where we are at, there's this, the city church. Well, it almost sounds like the city, the castle church and the, the town church. But uh, <laughs> um, there's one in town uh, and then the one uh, the new congregation on the south side there that was formed uh, mainly for students. But we're seeing so many come from the Wargau district there uh, in town mm-hmm. as well. Um, pretty much uh, following a liturgical form. Uh, a lot of the village churches have it translated into the MOBA language, Mual. Uh, there as well to use uh, at least some semblance of liturgy uh, Mm -hmm. in Togo. Um, So yeah, you would recognize it if you came over. That's really cool. And um, I'm assuming there's there's no organs, but (laughs) what kind of musical instruments do are are used for the music? Uh, Mainly the voice. Uh, For West Africa, it's uh, it's very heavily led by percussion. The Mm -hmm. percussion dictates the rhythm and and everything and and often introduces the songs. Mm -hmm. Uh, Central Africa, I I don't have quite the grasp. My colleague does, Jacob. He works with them a bit closer than I do. Mm -hmm. Um, They have a uh, they have a lot of have had a lot of introduction of electrical items, electrical Mm -hmm. keyboards and such, uh, speaker systems and the like Mm -hmm. um, uh, that are involved. So it, it really depends on where you're. 
you're at. Sure. Um, at the seminary, we do have a uh, xylophone. They call it the traditional keyboard <laughs> um, and a few bells and chimes and things that can be used too. Sure. What is what is the, the typical religious landscape that you're working in? Absolutely. Uh, in Togo, it's been declared recently as the last remaining African country where uh, animism or traditional belief is the majority. Oh, wow. Uh, the, the other countries throughout Africa are either predominantly Islamic or Christian, uh, and that could mean anything from Roman Catholicism to Pentecostalism to prosperity gospel mm-hmm. uh, and the like. Uh, but Togo itself being high in traditional practices, uh, recognizing ancestral spirits, uh, animal sacrifices, shamans uh, going through seances and so forth. Um, appeasing the ancestors mm-hmm. uh, or also if, if somebody did you harm trying to curse them with uh, the the practices that they have mm-hmm. a child is sick instead of going to the doctor many will find the shaman and try to try to diagnose it spiritually mm. so uh, by no means do we have a majority uh, in Togo it said about around 20% are Christian uh, in our region in northern Togo it's uh, most likely less uh, and one of the challenges we certainly face is amongst Christians, the acceptability to be a Christian on Sundays and even listen to Christian radio uh, that's available, uh, but then still visit the shaman. Or mm-hmm. or when the uh, an uncle passes away and the family is gathering for a sacrifice, that you participate in mm-hmm. the unfortunate acceptability that externally that's okay as long as you believe inside. And our students coming to that realization saying, no our actions confess something as well. And how does then the pastor in his setting make that clear? So there's certainly that those challenges of, of traditional belief, as well as uh, further north in Burkina Faso, for example, just north of us, uh, with Islam being prevalent as well, making mm-hmm. that good confession of, of Christ as Lord and Savior, as God's son in our midst. Sure. How does that, the, the traditional religion um, how does that affect how you're able to share the gospel? Because you mentioned that um, it's it's difficult to to have these people understand um, that that this is it's the only you can't you can't choose both. You have to choose one. How does that that cultural religion affect how you're able to to share the gospel with those people? I would say I, I don't work directly with the congregations in uh, Togo or mm-hmm. West Africa. I work primarily with the pastors uh, first at the seminary, but I also serve as a deployed uh, distance education from time to time. Mm-hmm. And that's certainly where, where I discuss with the pastors some of these challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I learned from a former missionary, Michael Barnes, he was there in, in the early 80s as well. He said it well. He said they actually understand the sacri- sacrificial system he thinks much more than Americans. And I agree with mm-hmm. them because I really pondered this, uh, where they, they understand there needs to be blood shed to make amends for something. Uh, and for Christians to, to be able to go into this for us uh, as, as sacramental Lutherans to say blood has been shed, uh, that it's, it's not that of animals and, and all the blood of beasts, it's not enough, mm-hmm. but the blood of man and that man being Jesus Christ, um, when it's explained in simplicity uh, and clarity like that, many of the pastors that I've seen uh, in Togo specifically and amongst the, the, the students are like, oh, well, this is very different than just the general Christianity we've heard. Mm-hmm. This really does set us free. And so they, they understand that, that sacrificial system much more than we do and that that sacrifice has taken place. Mm-hmm. 
and that they no longer need these other sacrifices and no longer should be participating. Yes, it might very well alienate you, but going to the words of Christ, you will be persecuted for my name's sake, even in your own family. Mm-hmm. Um, it's tough, absolutely, yeah. uh, and without a doubt. But uh, it certainly does give uh, that opportunity for the, for the church to be that family for those who are otherwise ostracized mm-hmm. uh, and left outside of their family or shunned. Uh, but the clarity and, and the freedom found in the gospel can can be expressed, uh, I would say, much clearer than here yeah. in many ways. That's a really interesting shift to think about that that those people w- would understand that uh, in a very different way than than we do here, just because it's it's just not part of our cult- our culture here. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. the blood sacrifice. Right, absolutely. Right. right. That's very interesting. So, how how significant is this? seminary to the church there in West Africa? Ah, it's amazing. It's the only Lutheran seminary with whom the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod is associated. We helped to plant this one. Mm-hmm. Um, there are two others. Uh, one is uh, in Cameroon by the Lutheran Brethren. Mm-hmm. Our own uh, Togo, uh, excuse me, Congolese professor graduated there, but he's, he's wary. He says, we don't want legalists coming out of there. And another one in Kinshasa, uh, which uh, is... is uh, in Central Africa there, um, that you have to be careful of liberal theology Mm -hmm. being there. And even uh, church bodies there wanting to send their students to Togo. Uh, They know there that the the Bible means something that is indeed God's word. It's inerrant, it's infallible, and so forth. Uh, And as Brian Wolfmuller says, it's very interesting. (laughs) It's it's exciting. So uh, delving into this, it it means something to a lot of these Lutherans. And we're even finding little micro-synods that are looking for that partnership. They may have been planted by the ELCA or AELC even or or others. And they're looking to say, we need to get back to this mm-hmm. solidly biblical uh, Christocentric uh, uh, theology. And they're finding that in our conversations mm-hmm. uh, together and wanting to send their men there. To, to me, what's amazing about the seminary, it's in Nepong. There's no attractiveness to it just to go and get a title or a degree. Big mm-hmm. African thing. If I can get a title and I can move on to the next thing, architect or whatever. Mm-hmm. But the men genuinely want to be there mm-hmm. at the seminary. They want to serve the church, uh, knowing many times they might go without a salary. But uh, to me, the amazing and extraordinary thing is, is they're coming, they're learning in the common language of French, and they're going back to their setting where most of them will live out the days of their life. Um, a great example in Guinea, one of our students there in Zerakore, uh, small south uh, eastern part of Guinea up in the forest region uh, is church there around 30 some congregations but only four ordained pastors I believe right now wow. his church president said you go to, to the seminary and study uh, in Zerakore it's a market town and it serves five different regional languages he said regional dialects there now if I was placed as missionary and said hey you go start some churches visit the villages it would take near a lifetime for me, maybe the lifetime of Methuselah, just to learn the languages. <laughs> and uh, uh, how would I do this? And we do have some great missionaries there. Uh, in the past, Tim Heine had served there and still does, uh, going to those villages. But it does. It takes so long. But in our setting there, this gentleman comes to the seminary, learns in French, and he'll go back to serve the congregation that sent him. And he knows four of those five local languages. Mm-hmm. So he's also called to be the missionary. Mm-hmm. So he'll be pastor and missionary together, things that really multiplies that ministry, substantiates uh, the mission for the long time, the proclamation of the gospel throughout mm-hmm. throughout the African region, uh, just on that simple platform of French 
well, I shouldn't say simple in French, but uh, <laughs> certainly uh, that, that language uh, platform in French as the common language in that community of faith together with the students. Sure, sure. And and it's been a joy to have you in studio and uh, and learning about all of these these wonderful things going on in West Africa. So thank you for being my guest today. Thank you. And thank you for your, your ongoing prayers from the listeners and from the church at large. Yes. It's a joy to serve. Yes. My guest in studio today is Pastor Micah Wildauer, and you can learn more about his work in Togo at lcms.org slash Wildauer, and also at engage.lcms.org. To learn how you can serve as a missionary, you can go to lcms.org slash service. Concordia University, Wisconsin, and Mequon overlooks a half mile of beautiful Lake Michigan shoreline. CUW campus is located 15 miles north of Milwaukee with over 70 undergraduate majors, 28 graduate degree programs, and doctorate programs in pharmacy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and nursing practice. CUW offers online learning and accelerated learning at one of nine Wisconsin centers and one in St. Louis. Traditional or accelerated education, CUW has the program for you. CUW.edu.